Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organisation sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others and the planet. I'm your host, Brad Jennings, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. Welcome to Episode 5 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is a great pleasure to have Cheryl Jaquiel on the show. Cheryl is the founder of the Lean Leadership Centre. Cheryl has developed throughout her career an expertise in developing cultures of excellence. Cheryl is the author of Lean Human Resources, Redesigning HR Practices for a Culture of Continuous Improvement. The second edition of this book has just released. Let's get into the episode. Hey, Cheryl. Thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. It's so such a pleasure to have you on the show. Happy to be here. Excited to be here, actually. I really am. Thanks, Cheryl. Cheryl, what's your backstory? What significant moments in your life shaped who you are now? Significant moments that shaped who I am? Um, well, there's a lot of them. I think the older I get, the more of them there are, right? Um, you know, I was just talking to someone earlier today about um, the moment that I really felt how lean or continuous improvement changed somebody's life and what it felt like to witness that and be part of that. It was a forklift driver. And, you know, I had worked in this company a while and saw what machine operators and forklift drivers, meaning the job specific type things. And I saw those same people get involved in quality work and teams and leading this same gentleman led a team. And I just remember his shoulders went back and he just, he was like, and he said something like, I didn't know I could do this. And And I knew even at a young age, I'm like, he could have gone his whole life and not known he could do that. He could have just done 40 years of work and driving forklift and like, that's what work was. And I knew that that was profound to me and and what it means to the quality of life. And most people I know who love the work the way I do, like that's what drives it for us. It has nothing to do with efficiency. I mean, that's nice. It's just not where the passion that drove my Truly, I love this work. I mean, I, I love it. Like, I love it, love it. Like, um, it's meaningful to me. It's amazing. And is that, is that part of the reason it inspired you to head down the path of lean human resources and your whole career in human resources and applying lean that culminated in yeah. your second edition book that's been released recently? Yes, well done. second edition out. Um, I just got my, my 20 copies sent to my office. Yeah, no, it definitely did. In that same, in that same organization, not that long after those same experiences, I, I was in the HR department and it changed how I did my work. And I also noticed that our head of HR, the VP of HR at the time, didn't think that it applied to them. You know how we'll all say like, sometimes you're impacted by the right thing and sometimes you're impacted by like, I don't want to do that. And it happened to be a person that was like, I don't think this is anything I need to get involved in. And I was like, I knew that was wrong. I knew that was like wrong, wrong. So um, after that, I mean, I went headlong. I I became a specialist in lean and HR really in my mid twenties. So I was a long, that was a long time ago. It's a long time. (laughs) Not telling you how long, but it was long. (laughs) That's the right answer. Yeah, Yeah, right, right. But uh, no, I knew right away that, that um, I mean, it was obvious to me you were changing work. I might also, uh, I would say this much, I've only recently realized that my very first exposure to continuous movement and a transformation is still one of the best ones I've ever seen in my life. And I didn't know that at the time, like I thought they were all like this, meaning they came in, they had um, one group of consultants that was really 
overhauling how the systems were running and making it more Kanban oriented and pull and got rid of a lot of the waste. But they had another group that came in that revised how the work roles were done. And they became matrix based overnight and they um, reset what, what it meant to lead, like on a dime. Now, I remember at the time, HR thought it was the worst thing they'd ever seen because it was so barbaric. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, a bunch of people who had been good at leadership for the last 30 years were all of a sudden not seen as good coaches and therefore not able to stay in those roles. But to this day, I've watched for 30 years, that issue is keeps going on about if they're going to coach being technically proficient and being good at helping people develop and contribute and solve their own problems or really different skill sets. Um, so they went headlong into that. They changed the policies. They became, I remember them teaching adult-adult relationships, all of those concepts. And to this day, I very rarely, if almost ever, see that kind of complete overhaul from the very beginning that it's not just the processes, it's um, a workforce, uh, complete change in the workforce. Hence, how could HR, I mean, that's why it was so obvious to me, like, what do you mean this isn't for, for you to be involved in? Like, it just changed work, every it's aspect about work. It, so. yeah, it's, it's amazing because it's about culture, isn't it? And HR is about culture. Um, not just culture, um, really how work is defined. So if you think our job descriptions are sitting at or what, how do we hire anybody or how do we develop them? Every aspect of him, of how we help lead people or deal with people, it's all usually residing there. So what happens is most of them work around it. They start coming up with their own training plans and they'll change out like either HR is kind of coming along or I've just seen them like just work around them. They just alter it with HR, just not quite understanding what's happening. Wow. And so is that some of the insights in your book? Cheryl, is that some of the key topics you cover and the knowledge you put forward for readers? So my manifesto, so to speak, um, is bigger than that. It's, um, oh. It used to be, I think, more about how HR wasn't involved. But I think that my, my big vision is that I think in general, people are underestimating the value of lean or continuous improvement in general. Um, it's often associated with a saving, an approach to saving money. We could make a widget for less money. Uh, lean out waste, so take out unnecessary steps or unnecessary work, those kinds of things. And what I know to be true is that the big value of lean is optimizing the contribution of the teams. Um, that if you had each and every team member optimized, they could create value that you can barely imagine. Like it's off the chart exponentially. It's not, we can cut our cost by 3%. And this goes back to one of the same stories of that time period. At that same company, when I first had gotten there, they were barely breaking even. One of the customers was Wendy's, which is a fast food uh, chain here. That chain. Makes hamburgers. And they make plastic straws and we made their plastic straws. And there was a quality issue in the straw. And we had um, a team of our people. So in the, old, the way it would have been is the head of sales, for that the national accounts person would have profusely apologized and taken them golfing or taken them to dinner and said, we're just really bad and we're really sorry, 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 and all of that. Instead, what they got was a team of people from the plant interacting with the team of their people. And they did the root cause analysis to identify where in the process the glitch had happened and truly how they fixed it so it wouldn't happen again. And the response from Wendy's was like several million dollars worth of business. And, um, and what that showed me at a young age was this big power was in revenue. And since then, I've had several 
um, examples in the hundreds of millions of dollars ranges of uh, when under certain circumstances, if you had to choose between two companies and one has this highly team-based, highly engaged problem-solving workforce compared to the one that's not, it's a no-brainer which one to pick. So it's realizing it's a way to sell more, which is your language, right? You could yeah. sell more this way. Definitely. One's just a more valuable workforce and it certainly does convert to sales. So that's one of its big values and engagement. Most people don't realize that lean and continuous improvement and engagement almost are a complete overlay. So from an HR perspective, the highlights of lean um, and the highlights of engagement when leveraged creates the greatest financial value. And so people are always like, so why do you care so much about the financial value? And I'm like, well, because it gauges how much to invest. And so I think what happens is we're underestimating what all this is worth. And so we underinvest in it. If you really understood what it's worth, by the way, most people aren't clear that engagement drives money anywhere, anywhere from about seven to 11% greater profitability, wow. greater shareholder value. There's several, whether it be Gallup or other studies have shown it's just a better performing business. So lean drives engagement and engagement drives cash. Well, that's the deal. So that's why that's what the topic of lean HR is about. Wow. And Joe, you've had this good career, a career right throughout HR, an amazing book. Who's inspired you along the way? Like you are inspiring so many others right now, but who's inspired you and why? Oh, there's been so many. Whoa. Well, I mean, there have been, in terms of this work, and believe it or not, you know, one who still really inspires me is Deming. Um, yeah. He was one when um, it's his, some of his work around performance reviews and understanding really the psychology under it about this, you know, he was really speaking to psychological safety, which is back in vogue now, like evaluating people, like, are you average or on a scale of one to three, I'm a two. And he was like, you know, like that doesn't fly. And I knew, I really internalized a lot of that, that people aren't understanding. I mean, again, in the field of HR, do you know how many performance review systems are a matter of how are you going to rate somebody? And um, they should be fine being average. It's a bell curve. The bell curve completely flies in the face of what we know to be true about humans. Um, saying, you know, you're all in the middle of the bell curve does not bring out their passion and their spark and optimal contributions. It absolutely just like squelches a lot of it. So that's like, it's definitely been a life-changing figure to me about, um, about the need to, to drive in those, those ideas. So um, you're saying that so many people can be placed in a box. You are this, and this is where you're at in the bell curve, and this is your potential. And so it stops them striving to develop themselves and grow and get better. Yeah, because the truth is, every single human is capable of things that we don't begin to tap into. It's, it's really on the issue of the way the work is structured and how we work with people to pull out all that genius. They're loaded with it. By nature, they're loaded with ideas and skills and abilities that we could tap into. The idea that we make them average is just not reality. They're not mostly average. They have different ways they could use what they're good at to contribute. I think it's, it's really being short-sighted about the value of people. Cheryl, if you, for our listeners... Is there some tips you can give them of ways to go about helping people develop and grow? Language they can use, approaches they can use. What's one or two tips you can give them? 
Well, in general, I've become a fan when you're asking me who I've been inspired by, is, inspired by is being more idea driven. That's the work of Alan Robinson, who I've also followed a, a, to a great degree. And even at this stage, I believe it's really thinking about to what degree is your organization revolving around ideas being idea driven? And um, one of the questions I asked him that I was so touched with his answer, he said, like, do you mean like a suggestion program? And he's like, no, that is exactly not what I mean, a suggestion program, um, yeah. meaning traditional leadership tends to say, well, we want your ideas. And if you give me an idea, then us, the leadership team will evaluate our, your idea and decide whether we think that's a good idea and decide whether we think we should do it. And then we'll, we'll take it forward and under advisement. And it's that's so not right. Right. Um, I think, um, focus on how you harvest and let employees drive in their own ideas. It's fundamentally the people closest to the work know the most about it. And so hence they're the most able to identify an issue and solve it and realize most of the leadership interference with that is just habit. It's just a bad habit. So building that autonomy right at the front line where the front line's That's empowered and away they go. I would take a list of every problem you have in your company and take maybe your top three worst ones and say, let's get this entire team on this problem and they will solve it. Mm, that's in inspiring. Yeah. And Cheryl, what are, you, what are you focused on now? Like you've had the second edition of the book come out. What are you focused on now and what motivates you now? Well, my work has gotten as interesting as it's ever been. Um, after years of working on talent management systems that um, basically have I've developed a quicker and easier way to redesign um, the HR systems to be able to be modified, very well organized, very comprehensive. The idea of why they have to be modified so regularly is the transition from top down to bottom up is like a gradual shift. So you need HR systems that can keep up with it and help drive it instead of react to it. So I've gotten that underway. And then um, in the last few years, we've gotten this leadership skill set much more put together that connects to that to develop a coaching leadership style, which has been like the holy grail. Everybody's been yeah. trying to how do you make coaches. I finally have found some ways and from studying in the field what's working and we've had greater success than we've ever had of actually creating real coaching skills on a broad basis and then um, what it takes to grow that idea-driven environment. And so when you add all that together, um, so what I've been busy doing is figuring out how to scale and make more available that comprehensive system to help more organizations achieve that actual full transformation. I think the majority of them are getting stuck in it. They, they're getting started and they're not able to fully hit the other side because they're, they're not dealing with a strong enough HR strategy to turn that to turn that tide all the way. Yeah, it sounds like a really amazing path. If you can crack that code and develop the ways to truly help, that's amazing. So that's what I do all this. But I'm coming up with more ways to make it more easy, accessible, systematized, more comprehensive, um, leaning it out, so to speak, and making it. Uh, but we've had the best success we've ever had. And um, so I know that we're closer to the right path than I've ever been. And Cheryl, what, what advice would you give to someone just starting their journey now? Like someone just starting out for the first time into team leadership or leadership or HR, what advice would you give? Um, you know, the way I put it to people, although I don't think I actually understand this term all that well, the first time I ever heard it was like, it sounds like a stealth jet when you get started. Meaning, here's the only thing I know about a stealth jet is it doesn't sound like anything. So it's a very powerful 
um, machine, but it doesn't, it has no sound initially. And so the reason why I mentioned that is it's really one of those things you just get in there and you take steps and it often feels like nothing is happening. You just need to realize everything is happening. It just doesn't sound like anything. So you get in the water and you make some changes and you have some experiences and you're progressing and you're progressing more importantly, but just remember it could take years before it feels like you moved at all, but you are moving. You just need to let those experiences happen and culminate and keep at it. Don't give up and just be aware. Every piece of these experiences adds up together. Like I was just working with the company and they're working on a very simple, um, they had a bunch of people working together as a team on a very simple issue. And I said, it's not about the issue. They just had a successful um, interdepartmental team solve a problem. A bunch of people took on leadership roles that never have. And on the call I just got off of, they said, these three ladies that had this experience are like on fire. They don't want to ever leave their jobs. And they think this is the best company everywhere, anywhere. And I'm like, all they did was pick one simple thing to let them work on. It doesn't seem like much of a big deal, but it could be life-changing to them. That one element of autonomy and letting them bring out their true potential just creates ins inspiration for the future. You could have created the next Cheryl Jaquil right there and then. Never know. But watching even the leaders that I helped just sponsor it, how turned on they were. Like, they just were like so happy with this. In fact, one of the leaders said, I've had a really bad week and there's been some, last week was tough. She goes, when I heard this from these three people, I just felt like it's a great day. And so it spreads. And, um, and so I even said to them, I haven't tired of this feeling in my entire life. I don't think, I don't plan to ever retire. Um, most people I know in this line of work have no plans to ever, we'll be doing it as long as we're able to be doing it because it's pretty fun. You can really see the passion and motivation you have for that. Like you've, you've found that purpose for your life and you've written the books, you're working with organizations. It seems to be, you know, if I get this wrong and please correct me, it's really about that bringing out the potential of every person. I can see this passion in you to really develop, help organizations develop cultures where everyone's potential is realized and that motivation's in there for each person. Um, I've also noticed over the years, maybe about 10 years ago, I, I've been very active in a group called the Association for Manufacturing Excellence, which is just a, it's just a place people with this passion all hang together. And we found whenever we meet each other, we feel like friends right away. I mean, even when I met you, it was like, when we talked for 15 minutes, like you're an amazing person. So there's a way, I think it's come from, we have a shared value system. A lot of people in this line of work have a sacred respect for people and yeah. that whether we say it one way or another, we all believe that this is worth doing. Um, like it really matters in the world. And as I said, it's not just about making things better, like make a more efficient company. Letting people truly find what they're able to do is just, is just worth doing. I mean, it's just part of quality of life. I think it's really about creating greater quality of work of life through a better work life. It's amazing. I, from, I share your view. From the moment I got involved in this industry of enterprise excellence and lean and agile, and I've never met a group of more giving, caring people who are just truly in it for a larger purpose. It's an amazing group of people to be connected with. Yeah, so we find like we sit down to a dinner table and like in 10 minutes, like, well, we're just friends now. We just are. Because <laughs> we're the, that's just a common element. And so it's become for me an interest in understanding more what this experience feels like. We talk about it a lot, like it's a culture or a mindset. 
or it's a set of outcomes or it's metrics, but I, I think we would do well to consider how, what it's like as an experience. By the way, we're emotional human beings, right? It yeah. feels good. And things that feel good are good for us. So I think, again, probably with my background, paying attention to understanding the feeling of improvement or the experience of it, I think would give us a better understanding where its real value comes from. Because engagement feels like something. It's not about uh, just an outcome. People feel engaged, which means they feel connected to something, part of something greater. That is a feeling they get. And lean produces that feeling all over the place. Cheryl, that's insightful. Is that an area you're going to research and do further yeah, work in going that's one forward? of my next things. I want to do either, um, I've thought about doing book, art, podcasts, videos, all of the above on this topic about how it feels. That would be a good book. I'll read that one. Let me know when you've got that one, please. Oh, well, you can be in it. I'll, I'll come get you to contribute. That would be great. Thanks. <laughs> just Cheryl. have to know if, how it feels to you. That's all you have to know. I know that feeling. Yeah, it's a great feeling. It's a bit like the uh, Toyota, old Toyota ad, oh, what a feeling. But the reason why I think it matters to me in a way that, that I find, um, I oftentimes in my work, in part of being um, introducing lean to people that do not know what this is or the idea of improvement. So they just know work is work and they've never heard of these ideas of teamwork and you know what it means to, uh, to do the work the way we're talking about. And I feel like if we could describe it better by how it feels, they would realize why we think it's the greatest thing ever instead of how they understand it is we're, it's like we're going to solve problems or remove waste. They hear that and they don't understand why we think like, yes, and I would do this the rest of my life forever and ever. And um, I think we could get better at understanding how to help people connect to the feeling than they would be, um, especially in an early phase, more interested in it. And maybe even CEOs or, or executive teams might be more clear, why does that have so much value to us? If it feels that good, why would we care about that? Well, for the reasons I just said, it creates engagement and engagement creates value. But it's a feeling. Mm. Engagement yeah. is a feeling. Yeah. It's, that's insightful because there's so many CEOs and senior leaders I've met where they've got a strong focus on how do we develop our culture? How do we get our people more engaged? How do we build agility in our people? What you've just said is a key part to that. Yep. So it's realizing like, like um, I've, I've thought about it, like how does teamwork feel or how does it feel to contribute your idea? There's the idea you contributed but how does it feel to have that idea implemented and to be heard and seen and given an opportunity I wouldn't have had? Like those feelings just drive that value. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Cheryl, what have you learned recently that you didn't know before? In the last few years, what's something that's given you an insight? Well, the big thing I've been working on that I didn't know before. So um, I haven't always been in HR in my career, but I've spent a lot of it. And over the decades, there's been something we call frontline supervision training. So it was common, you would develop supervisors out of people that, let's say, were not in supervisory roles. It was important that they be taught how to manage people or supervise people. And what I always knew in HR, first of all, is that they weren't the only ones who needed to know how to deal with people. Like usually every other layer yeah. above them needed the same skill set. Yeah. 
I also never really thought much about a lot of the training out there. I always thought was too um, too small a tool given the size of the need of the skill. Like it was like we put everyone through eight hours of training or even eight weeks of training. And now they're supposed to know how to set expectations and give feedback and handle complex people issues. And they don't. And so there's always been what I knew is I never thought it was that good, but it, it's like I compartmentalized that topic. And in the last couple of years, I've tied that understanding of that skill set with um, developing coaching skill sets and what that takes, which has often been associated with lean and how to develop like lean sensei skills or kata coaching skills, like yeah. in a Genda walk, how do we coach? And I've been realizing the best way to co develop coaching skills is fundamentally in how we teach people how to work with people at all. Um, whether that be as a supervisor, it could mean even as individual contributors, but in general, that skill set. So we've come up with better ways to teach that skill set with um, a coaching mindset. You know, it's basically a bottom up how to create independent employees with that same set of skills. But with the idea being it's an everyday, all day thing. Yep. It's really, you're not going to just coach on Thursday mornings or, or during the Kaizen or just when something's broken. Um, it's, it's an entire way of working. And so it's what I didn't know is it needed to be more fundamental and taught in much smaller increments with much more regular practice and that the leaders needed to truly understand what was in it for them, meaning less stress. Like why was a more and more independent employee good for them until I saw them see it? I don't think even I knew how I'd explain it to them. Why do I want more independent employees? That's insightful. So you, you really, looking at that way and discovered that some ideas and insights around how can we make coaching and coaching behaviors just part of our everyday. Right. And to take whatever you were doing with supervisory skills, and that had to be completely overhauled to match this model. Um, so either companies don't do it, they don't do enough of it, um, or they're doing a more traditional style. Um, there are some that are, have gotten the hang of this. It's very important that the way we teach people to work with people have this skill set in it. Um, if not, like people think like, um, it's like if you teach me to do something one way and teach me a different way, then I really don't know how to reconcile the two. Have you got an example of an organization or a leader in an organization that you've seen do this well? Yeah, I mean, um, it started with, um, I was actually, it was at the state of Illinois. We were in a department and um, working with them and they had, this is an in a government environment, they'd gone 25 years with no people training. So and people, they would have departments of 50 people. Like I su I've supervised people for eons and a lot of them with no training in how to do it. And as we put in this model of, um, you know, it was a very consistent cycle and very repetition over time of how to build their ability to ask more questions and how to be good at setting expectations, certainly take ownership that most employees will do quite well if the leader leads effectively, like sets expectations, makes sure training's done effectively, coaches, mentors, gives effective feedback and uses positive reinforcement, the most powerful of all. They understand that a positive workplace drives greater performance than any kind of negative. You know, a lot of times people think, and if they don't do what we asked, we just have to write them up or discipline them. And so they understood that. And as we, they made that change, what we saw in relatively short amounts of time is the leaders enjoying their work, feeling less stressed, saying how shocked they were that it works, and then employees and team members saying it just became a more enjoyable place to be. And then the HR department said, 
all the conversations about blaming the people, like we don't have good people went away. They started to realize we don't have bad people. We just needed to know how to lead them. And so um, what drives my passion around that is there's nothing more heartbreaking than watch people blame people for being the problem when I know it's not the person. The expectations weren't clear. The training wasn't sufficient. They weren't given feedback. Um, it was more, it's more like, what have you done wrong instead of what have you done right? Um, and it doesn't mean there was a bad leader. It just meant you had someone without the skill set to know how to do that. But people usually pay the brunt. They pay the price for that in being blamed for the problem. Yeah, the frontline employee can be the one that helps it. They get blamed for it's, it's something's wrong with you. Yeah, and that can impact their whole life, can't it? It's not just work. That can flow out into their personal life and does flow out into their personal life. Absolutely does. And so when you can stop that, you've stopped something pretty important. Mm, and the leaders, when they kind of know better, they don't feel good about that. They know that they're hurting a person when they, you know, I'm sorry, you're just not cutting it. Or, you know, I don't know why you're not able to perform, but I can't let you do, they, they feel that too. But they don't, they need more skills to know how to sort that out and get to the right root cause. So keep in mind as a lean HR person, you know, most of the time they have the wrong root cause. And Questions gets you the information to make a better assessment. Right now, what people don't realize is how much of the time people assume the answer. Yeah. I don't think you're doing it right because you don't care or you don't want to, or because somehow they jump to conclusions what they think it is and respond accordingly. And so it's helpful if group people can really do the right root cause analysis. It seems that sometimes leaders are so busy, so much pressure, we just jump to a conclusion. And that conclusion is often relates to people and blaming people rather than taking the time to go deeper. Have you seen any other examples like that? In terms of a company that went from that environment to actually doing a better job and being able to yeah. turn it around? Absolutely, I mean, there's another one I'm working with that again, um, 20 years of lean and had a lot of like the Gemba walks and um, Kanbans and a lot of the visual management and those things, but the supervisory skill sets were really far off. I mean, they were just, again, very traditional. A lot of people in leadership roles, a bunch of people even put into cell leader roles. Like, again, we need more people. And so they would just say that the most responsible of the group or the person that raised their hand or answered the bid gets puts in the job. And as they have just gone through, they're in their second year of building these skills and it's, it's overhauling their culture as um, like someone said, respect for people. This was the plant manager that facility said, if you want to talk about respect for people, make sure that what you ask of a person to do in their job, like supervise people, that they've been given sufficient training to do that work. Yeah. That's not respect to say somehow you're in charge of 40 people and how to coach them and develop them when I've given you almost nothing to go on. Um, the last thing you can tell I get passionate about this, it's hard to get me to, is um, I'm finding the other thing I didn't know is the importance of their connection to each other. This yeah. is much less about um, a, connecting to a trainer. There's one part of whether you know better and there's another part whether you um, are able to do better, meaning I may know I need to give feedback or address a situation, but I may just be reticent for any number of reasons. The more we helped the group connect to each other. They did not realize that the other people were having the same feelings, that they're overwhelmed. They find people issues to be the hardest issues they face. And the more they could support each other, advise each other, coach each other, just support one another and just relate, the better it got. And that showed me the way to really raise this bar is through the leadership being a tight enough community, connected enough 
that they raise the bar together. It's a team sport. And while I don't, I think I knew it, I didn't know it the way I know it now. It's a team sport. They sounds will like not get there by themselves. Yeah. It sounds but, like you're describing building safety amongst that leadership team itself and that camaraderie for them to then help each other and move through the journey to develop and grow. Yeah, like a third of them say, you know, I can't ask questions the way I want to. I, I want to be a better listener. I, I know I should ask more questions. I just can't seem to get me to do it. And when they share that and that becomes normal and that becomes like, yeah, me too, they all got better. It wasn't right. like, let's just commiserate and just all give up together. It raised the bar by it being okay to just be where they're really at. Yeah, that's, that's great. And Cheryl, thank you so much for the insights and knowledge that you've shared today. If people want to reach out to you or if they want to get your book, how can they find you? How can they find the book? Yes. Yeah, so um, out on my website, which is leanleadershipcenter.com, there's a place where you can um, subscribe. You don't have to stay on the on the mailing list, although I would say most of the content I send out, I don't really have a, um, I'm not out selling things. I distribute a lot of content. All my work with clients, I'm always turning into content and distributing it. Even the book has a huge landing page of all kinds of free resources. So write me a note. Um, my email is also Cheryl at leanleadershipcenter.com. So you can also just send me an email or get a hold of you and you'll get a hold of me. But um, I'm always interested in both things you want to share that you think your organizations are doing well and feature that as well as anything I can do to hook you up to others in the field. So I love to hear from people in the field. I'll include those details in the show notes also. Right. Cheryl, thank you. It's been such an honor to talk to you and I really appreciate the knowledge and insights you've shared today. Thank you. Thank you, Brad.